Hey there. Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean. Arif, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I brought you in as the lean, mean Twitter machine, something like that, whatever it was in the last podcast. And then, and then, and then Twitter less died. than 24 hours, 24 <laughs> uh, Twitter just crashes and burns. So, um, you know, I know it's a big part of your life and who you are. So you know, my condolences. I'm not that kind of person, am I? Really? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I am. Uh, I will say shout out to the bosses at Mile High Sports who have a verified account because I opened up a different browser, signed into Mile High Sports, created a list so I don't have to see all the football tweets in the middle of hockey, created a list with all the NHL insiders and the teams and everything, and I just refreshed that. I wasn't running out of what was the the phrase that was used on on my end it was a little bit different it wasn't rate limit or something yeah rate limit exceeded or something it wasn't like that on my end on an android phone it would just give you an error when you try to refresh but i know uh i know some other i think it's the apple phones had like the rate limit thing but yeah i just i used the mile high sports account and then i would go to my account and it was just wild because i'd go to my account i would tweet out something without even seeing what the timeline looks like, without even seeing who's responding to it. And I would tag Mile High Sports in it. And then I'd go to the Mile High Sports page, retweet it. And then from the Mile High Sports page, I can see the responses to at run right error, but from at run right error, if you can't see it, like just a total shit show. But um, if uh, we thought Elon Musk was a hockey fan, now we know he for sure isn't because I don't think he was trolling the NHL. I just don't think he knew that UFA day was July 1st. And that was like a real thing. So uh a lot of signings to talk about, but I guess that was the news of Canada Day. Yeah, it was definitely tough to keep up with everything as it was coming out because of, you know, our, our usual means of information was failing us. So let's get into it now. Let's dive into everything the Avalanche did. So that way, if you weren't able to follow along on Twitter, well, we got you covered here at Hockey Mountain High. So uh, first two signings I think we got to talk about are the two most notable ones, right? Filling in some forward roles and important ones at that. I'm pretty surprised at the Avs' ability to make some moves in free agency this year. Not going to lie, but let's start with Miles Wood, who, of course, signs at six years, 2.5 million AAV, and Jonathan Druen, who signs a one-year deal at 825 825,000 uh, this year. Uh, yeah, I guess your thoughts. Uh, let's start with the six-year thing. I think that's really something that threw everybody off. That, that's a pretty long time for a guy like Miles Wood. It's absolutely a long time, and I can't possibly see him playing his role for six years and being good at it. Um, but what I like about the creativity of this deal is the fact that, number one, it is a little bit front-loaded. So the last three years, he gets $2 million per season. Um And we talk about this every year and we laugh about it every year and say you can't keep doing it. But in three years, there's probably going to be a team that you can dump Miles Wood on because they need to reach the salary cap floor. It's a $2.5 million cap hit. It's a $2 million uh, salary. If you remember when Gabe Landeskog signed his big deal, that's what we were talking about. Four-year no-movement clause and then four-year, I think it's like a modified no-trade. So it's like, all right, we're going to guarantee you your first four years, the second four, all bets are off. Obviously, since then, a lot has changed, but I think it is creative because right now he's making $2.5 million of an $83.5 million salary cap as a good third line winger. Next year, he's going to be making $2.5 million on around an $88 million salary cap as a good third line winger. In year three, 
we'll say he's still a good third line winger. The salary cap's going to be about 92. So by the time we get to three seasons from now, as in literally 24 months from today, players are going to be signing contracts at two and a half, three million to be fourth liners because of the inflated cap rate and, and where salaries are going. And honestly, JJ, where salaries should be if it wasn't for COVID. Like the world, the world was trending in this direction. Matt Calvert signed a fourth line contract with the Avalanche. What was that? 2018, 2019, 2.875 million. Like that's where we were going. And then COVID kind of put a stop to everything, but we're going back on that track. So as soon as I saw the six-year deal, I said, if this is a six-year deal for a player looking for a pay raise on the AAV, he was making 3.25 last year, which is what he's going to be making in actual dollars the first two years of his deal. But I said, if that's if he's looking for a pay raise, so like if this is a six-year deal at like 3.6, where you're like, well, right now it's a bit of an overpayment, but in years four, five, six, it will make sense. This is a bad deal. But instead of it being an overpayment now and making sense later, the Avalanche structured it in a way where the AAV makes sense now and will be underpaid later to the point where it'll be very easy to bury him, to trade him, to do what you got to do, where this isn't going to be a contract that's going to completely ruin the books. So that's what I like about it. It's creativity at its finest. It's how they got the AAV down to 2.5 instead of signing a guy like this for like two years at seven and a half million. And you're like, oh crap, we just ate up $3.75 million of our cap space, which right now every dollar counts as we see from some of these contracts. Yeah, that's been the theme of this year's offseason for the Avalanche, right? It's creativity and figuring out how they're going to juggle things and make things work. And uh, you know, they've done an amazing job. Leave it to Chris McFarland, the mad scientist that he might be, the mad hockey scientist there uh, in his laboratory, uh, just making things work. So, yeah, I like it a little bit front heavy, trickling to lower throughout the six years. You said something there um, that stuck out to me. Let's get into it. You, you mentioned how you don't think someone playing his role is going to be good at it come the, the tail end of this contract. Get into that role a little bit. What What is his role entail, and why do you think that's going to trickle out over the years? So I don't know if it is going to trickle out. I'm just saying it in the sense of if it does, and if this player kind of reaches his limit and, and starts to, you know, every player, father time catches up to them, their game starts to dip low. Corey Perry was a 50-goal scorer. Now he's a fourth liner that you'd love to have on your team. Well, actually, now he's a $4 million player with the Blackhawks. But um, I'm just saying, like, if that was to happen, if that were to happen, it's not going to hurt the Avalanche as much as you might think it would. So the term on this absolutely doesn't matter. That's the reality of it. It matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter a lot as much as you think. Um, but in terms of his style of play... These are the kinds of wingers and these are the kinds of players that I think I texted you this uh, on July 1st at some point. I said, I fully subscribe to the idea of having Ross Colton and Miles Wood run around like madmen in the playoffs like Sam Bennett does, because that's the type of role they play. These are guys, let's let's stick strictly to Miles Wood. This, this is a guy that's going to give you 10 to 12 goals. 15 to 20 assists. So on the low end, I'm going to expect like a 10 goal, 15 assist season on the high end, 12 goals, 20 assists, 32 points. Like that's about where I expect miles Wood to be. Uh, I don't think he kills a lot of penalties. So that's interesting, but granted the Avs have a lot of guys to do that. Um, I think they have a lot of guys because JT Comfer's out. I should probably retract that statement until I do some research, but uh, regardless, they, they, they got this guy to play on the wing to give you around that 30 point mark. 
and play a crash and bang style of play. He takes a lot of penalties, which is something he's going to need to control. Obviously, fighting majors and 10-minute misconducts at the end of the games are one thing. Two-minute minors are what he's going to need to control, especially when he's not taking somebody off with him. D-zone penalties. That too, yes. So in that sense, um, it's a style of game that eventually catches up to you. I mean, that's just the reality of it. It's, it's You see it in a lot of players. They are... Uh, they are crucial pieces to your team. They are good assets. Um, they are big parts of you until they aren't. And it kind of switches on a dime for, for most of it. Like think back to Cody McLeod's best years. There was a season where Cody McLeod scored 15 goals and he was crashing and banging. And then you blink and you open your eyes and you're like, this dude can't even be a 15th forward on this team. And they traded him in the middle of that crummy season. He couldn't even find ice time in that crummy season. So, like, it eventually catches up to you. Miles Wood is better than Cody McLeod, I was just saying as an example. But um, if that were to happen to Miles Wood, it won't be as rough as you think. So that's kind of the the, the general theme. He's going to be 28 when the season starts. So 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33 years old is going to be the final season of this contract making $2.5 million on a cap that's going to be close to 100. So if you allocate it in terms of cap percentage, that's going to be the equivalent of having a 33-year-old making around roughly 1.5, 1.6, 1.7 in year six of this deal. So by all things considered, it's a creative contract, the structure of it, the way the dollars are allocated so that you're only paying $2 million in the final three years, which when you're trading him to a team, you know some teams don't care about the AAV as much as the actual dollars because they just want to reach the cap floor, but pay less money to get there. Um, in in all of those things considered, this is a creative deal. It's a good deal. And if it does go south is ultimately what I was trying to say. You're you're kind of covered. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the emphasis on forechecking here from the this acquisition and, and um, Ross Colton, right? Because uh, that's what you saw during that playoff run against the uh, Seattle Kraken or that playoff series was just a, a, a lack of a execution on the forecheck, right? They weren't tena- tenacious. They weren't able to play physical. And so I think these two guys are going to really make a big impact in that sense. And I saw a lot of, I guess, people online, just random New Jersey devil fans. I was reading their comments, trying to get how they felt about miles wood. And yeah, I saw some people talk about his penalties. Some people talk about his, uh, turnover issues and maybe even his defensive game but i hear that and i i think to myself to not underestimate the powers of jared bednar right i mean mm-hmm. a coach is a coach even in the nhl and i think those are some things that working with jared bednar working on there's some video you can really correct so um i i have high hopes for him i think there's some things he'll probably have to clean up but jared bednar so good at that and so good at, at the accountability side that you know he's going to put a lot of pressure on himself to clean up the penalties and clean up the defensive play and especially clean up turnovers look when the avalanche signed guys like evan rodriguez even andrew cogliano the the, the second time i was or the first time i should say which was last season because they didn't sign him in 2022 they traded for him uh when they signed players like that to one-year deals that says to me, even like Lucas Sedlak, Anton Bleed, like those were the freaking depth options we were talking about last year. Holy shit, what a difference a year makes. Um, but when you sign guys like that in your brain, it's like, all right, um, we're going to have you for a year. We're going to invest in you for a year. We're going to try and try and try. And if you suck, well, whatever. We'll trade you. We'll uh, ship you off to ship you, put you on waivers. Uh, we'll ship you off to Toronto in terms of Dryden Hunt. We'll ship you off to Toronto. We'll bring back Dennis Malgan. Like 
we're going to continuously try to find the fit. But when you sign a guy for six years, even if the contract doesn't get played out, you are investing in this player in the sense where you see something in him. This isn't, you know, let's give Evan Rodriguez two million for one year. And if he sucks, yeah, whatever. We'll put him on the fourth line. He'll make two million on the fourth line. We've had that before. In fact, we used to have JT Comfer on the fourth line making three and a half, and we had Soderberg on the fourth line. Like it was it's it was a different time back then. So the way that I see it, there is something that they saw in their pro scouting of Miles Wood that said, We like who this player is, and the deficiencies he has are things we can work on. The system that we have in place can work on those deficiencies, the kinds of game we play, the kinds of guys he's going to play with. Never underestimate, like you said, that part of a hockey team. And that goes for every hockey team, especially for a team like the Avalanche, where we have seen time and time again, I'm not going to include guys like Lucas Sedlock and Time Bleed and guys like that. Like I'm talking genuine good players that come into this team. We've seen them time and time again, turn around players' careers. We've seen them time and time again, let players come here you know, find, find the offensive production they need and then go off somewhere and sign a big contract. So in that sense, because they gave him six years, that says to me, the avalanche sees something like, what did we talk about to this two weeks ago? We talked about how Burakovsky had 12 goals, three seasons in a row before he came to the avalanche. We talked about how Arturi Lekkinen had never hit 40 points before coming to the avalanche. Valeri Nichushkin got bought out at the age of 23 or whatever it was with the Dallas stars never had a good season outside of his rookie year, which was only 34 points before coming to the avalanche. Devon Taves, good 30 point defenseman comes to the avalanche, 50, 60, 70. People talk about him. Like he's a top five D man. Now, Chris Chelios said that on a podcast the other day, he said, Devon Taves is a top five D man. And obviously Kale McCarr's number one. So we've seen them find players that have skills that can do something good and have a couple deficiencies here and there. They come to the avalanche. They expand on what they're good on. And they clean up a little bit of their deficiencies. And the fact that they're giving this guy six years says they see something in him worth working on. And I'm, I have no reason not to trust the avalanche to give a player like that six years because they see something good in him. Well, with that, let's dive into Jonathan Druin getting the one year deal at yes. 25. Jonathan Druin's an interesting one. Cause it's a name that I feel has been floated around the avalanche for years and years mm-hmm. and years. I can think at least eight, nine years we've been talking about Jonathan Druin potentially you know, finding a little resurgence here in Colorado, getting back together with Nathan McKinnon after their days in Halifax. So, um, yeah, your thoughts on Jonathan Druin coming in? I'm excited for it. I think it's a great fit. And, again, one that I've been yelling for for a long time. So I hope he proves me right. So the two guys that we were talking about over and over again that have those relationships, Jonathan Druin with Nathan McKinnon, Yesse Pugliarvi with Miko Rantanen. Pugliarvi obviously is having that hip surgery, and he's going to be out months. That's why he didn't get a contract. With that being said, a player like Jonathan Druen, I think people are underestimating the level of reclamation project this is. In the sense where you're bringing in a guy whose worst season in the NHL was this past season where he was operating at a 0.5 point per game pace. He had 29 points in 58 games. That's 41 over a full season. And I know he's only played 58. The other thing is to take into account is Drew over the last two, three seasons, actually three seasons 
has had a lot of personal issues. If you remember the 2021 postseason when the when not the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens made the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> Toronto wishes <laughs> when the Montreal Canadiens made the Stanley Cup final. John Drouin did not play in that series. He didn't play in the playoffs. He left the team for personal reasons. I believe he came out and talked about his mental health. He was he had some personal issues going on. He is, in fact, part of the highly touted the Avalanche's favorite draft, the 2013 draft. The one where McKinnon was taken first. Val Nachushkin was taken 10th, I want to say. JT Comfer in the 30s. Andre Burakovsky was drafted in that one. Arturi Lekkinen was drafted in that one. You noticing a theme here? Uh, by the way, guess what draft Miles Wood was taken in? 2013, 100th overall. They love that draft. So he's not by any means old. He's in that same age range, 27, 28, the same as Nachushkin, same as McKinnon. And his worst season was coming off personal issues and all of these things that he's dealing with where he put up a half a point per game pace. The abs didn't go out there and get someone that put up 10 points in 80 games. And they're like, ah, let's ride his junior career. No, man. Like he had 29 and 58 the season before 20 and 34. So that's about a 40 something point pace. That's better than Rodriguez gave you in 2021 before his personal issues, 23 and 44, again, 45 point pace, 2020, 15 and 27. So that's a 45 point pace on the nose. In 2019, 53 and 81, 2018, 46 and 77, 2017, 53 and 73. His worst season is a half a point per game pace. So that's the big thing that I take away from this. This isn't bringing in Kaylor Yamamoto, who had 10 goals and 15 assists. This isn't bringing in Yesse Pugliarvi, who went less than a third of a point per game pace. This is a guy that his worst season was this past year where he didn't have a role on that team. And now he's about to get the role of a lifetime with the avalanche. I think the, uh, the worst case scenario with Jonathan Druin is he kind of falls into the, uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparable. I was going to say Alex Galchenyuk, but obviously I don't see Jonathan Druin falling no, all the way no, to no, the no, AHL. No. That's but, a good, that's a good one. I'm sorry to cut you off. And I, I, I want to let you talk, but this isn't bringing no, in Galch. <laughs> this isn't, <laughs> this isn't bringing in Galchenyuk. Uh, with the numbers that he's had the last four or five years. This is different. Go on. Yeah, that's why I corrected myself. I don't want to call it like Galchenyuk, but <laughs> where, where I was getting at is like the guy that comes in, we have high hopes for and just doesn't seem to be able to work out. Jared Bednar doesn't seem to like him or there's just some inconsistencies in his game that maybe he slides down the lineup a little bit. Again, I know he's not going to slide all the way to the AHL, but I think we have high hopes for him playing alongside Nathan McKinnon, right? Well, I think at times this season, again, worst case scenario, he maybe falls out of favor a little bit, but um, best case scenario, he doesn't at all. And him and Nathan McKinnon just uh, rekindle any chemistry they might have together. And he's uh, at a career high in a points pace, but I can see Jonathan Druin being that almost Andre Burakovsky. There you go. That was, that's a good comparable, right? There's times where Andre Burakovsky's playing top line minutes. There's times where he was playing third line minutes because of his inconsistencies and his, um, I guess, effort ups and downs. Yeah. So the way that I like to look at it with Jonathan Druin is He's a player that I'm trying to pull up this chart over here, but it's not loading for me. So I don't have the exact names of who he played the most with, but he's a player that put up 29 points in 58 games. He spent, I believe a lot of time with Kirby doc, Christian Dvorak, 
if you take not even elevate his game, not even work with with Jared Bednar, change the system, nothing. If you take all of the minutes he played last year and the players he played with the most and replaced it with let's let's take it a step below JT Comfer and Miko Rantanen. If he played the exact same season last year, but it was with JT Comfer and Miko Rantanen and he was the left winger on that line, how many more points would he have than 29? Six, seven, eight? Because he wasn't playing with a JT Comfort level center in Montreal, and he sure as hell wasn't playing with a Miko Rantanen level player in a season where Miko had 55 goals and 50 assists. So just by putting him on the avalanche, having the same production as last year, I would assume that 29 points in 53 games would go up to about 35 and 53, which over 82 games, you're looking at a 50 point season for a winger. Hell yeah. 825 K sign me up. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. I think the fact that, you know, he has that chemistry with Nathan McKinnon and this is somebody Nathan McKinnon is vouching for. We're hoping he has it still, right? Yeah. Well, let me put it this way off ice chemistry with Nathan McKinnon. This is someone that Nathan McKinnon cares for. There's something that you and I always have talked about. I don't know how forward we've been with it. Cause I don't remember, I don't remember the way we've explained it, but Nathan McKinnon is very upfront about how he treats players that he doesn't think are useful for the team to put it nicely. It's not that he's an asshole to them, but he will, you know, if you ask him about a player, a certain player on the team, like my favorite, here's an example. When we asked him about Nicholas Abe Kubel dropping the cup, this is a guy he just went to war with. He didn't say, oh, that was funny. He said, who is this guy and why is he the one holding the cup? Kind of to basically <laughs> say, why is a third, fourth liner that we picked up on waivers holding the cup? You Like Nathan McKinnon has that type of mentality about players. When the Avalanche call up somebody like Sampo Ranto or somebody like Martin Kelt, like guys that haven't worked, he'll never say it in front of the camera, but you can read his body language. When McKinnon is asked about these guys, he kind of has this look of like, you know what, can we just get someone that's good at hockey? So just the fact, aside from his production, that Nathan McKinnon believes in this person is going to help him. Because if he gets minutes with McKinnon, Nate's going to go out of his way to not only make this a reclamation project for the Avalanche, but for himself. Because this is a person he cares about. He's still somebody that he keeps in touch with. The Avalanche used McKinnon as a source, kind of like a pro scout is what Chris McFarland said yesterday, in order to even sign Druen and ask if they should sign him. So just from that sense, that off-ice chemistry he has with Nate, is already crucial, let alone if they can rekindle what they were doing in junior hockey 10 years ago, which I know is crazy to say, but at the same time, like Nathan McKinnon is looking at Drew and being like, hey, yo, since you and I played, look at this big Finnish guy on the other wing. Yeah, me and him have chemistry now. Let's kind of put it all together. Like, let's let's try to find something here. Yeah, sure, sure. On the contrary, though, you know, the pressure has been raised, right? His standards are now higher and skating next to Nathan McKinnon. Nathan's going to put some pressure on him. And, you know, if he goes on a dry spell and potentially uh, loses a little bit of confidence, then, you know, I could see it being something that trickles into his effort and his execution. And again, maybe spend some time moving up and down a couple of the other lines. But again, these are all hypotheticals and uh, just... Trying to and, say, and hypothetically, if that were to happen, and Jonathan Drouin's role isn't in the top six, well, great, yeah, play him on the third line with Ross yeah. Colton and Miles Wood. Exactly. Hypothetically, Jonathan Drouin doesn't have a role on this team at all. 
He's making less this season than Lucas Sedlak signed for with the Avalanche at the start of last season. And if you can take Lucas Sedlak, turn him into a paper airplane and wish him right to waivers, and then he goes to Philadelphia and then disappears because he doesn't want to play for Tortorella within a month of the season starting, well, what we're talking about right now might not even be important by October 20th of this year. And Jonathan Drouin moves on, and then you just got to go out and find somebody else to play in the top six, which I know sounds easier than it is. But at the same time, you have a lot more assets this year. You have a first round draft pick. You have more prospects. You have more cap space flexibility because of Gabe Landeskog. You can go out and find somebody to replace him. And if you got to use, you know, Miles Wood or Ross Colton or whoever the hell they're going to sign, because there's going to be another winger added to this team in in uh, my educated opinion, based off what McFarland said yesterday. If you got to use a stopgap, well, you know what? Evan Rodriguez with a stopgap that had 39 points in 69 games. It can be worse. I don't think Evan Rodriguez in the top six is why the Avalanche lost last year. It's because of who they had in the bottom six and centering the second line. And then when Nichushkin left, playing on the wing on the second line was the issues. So if it doesn't work, great. It's a very low risk move. It's not like they, yeah. it's not like they stood there. And this is this is the big thing with UFA period that gets me when players see a contract like Daniel Sprong signed a one year deal for two million dollars with the Detroit Red Wings. Great. How do you know? Joe Sackick didn't call or Chris McFarland didn't call Sprong and said, Hey, we'll sign you to a one year, $2 million deal. And he said, nah, I'm straight. I don't want to go to Colorado. I don't want to play there. I'm not going to get the ice time there. I'm not going to get the chance there to thrive. And then signs with Detroit. People have this thought where when a contract like Max Domi is about to sign a one year, $3 million deal. And already in my mentions, people are being like, why couldn't the avalanche offer him one year, 3 million? How do you know they didn't? And Max Domi just didn't go, eh, fuck that. I don't want to play in Colorado, Toronto. Sign me up. That's where my dad played. Love it. Like that's the part that people don't get. Oh, I'd rather have O'Reilly at 4.5 than Johansson at four. How did you know O'Reilly would have signed for 4.5 in Colorado? Better question. How did you know O'Reilly would have signed in Colorado at all? Toronto offered him the same contract. He chose Nashville. So there's a human element to this that people don't get. So it's not like they took, you know, Jonathan Drouin and had three or four options. You know, Max Domi for two and a half, three million. Daniel Sprong for two million. Some Evan Rodriguez for three million. And Jonathan Drouin for 825. And all the player agents said, you can only pick one of us. And they said, we're going to hitch our wagon to Jonathan Drouin. And then it fails by October 20th. Who cares? It's not like that's the way it played out. It wasn't this or that. Yeah. It was, we're going to add this, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, low risk, high reward. Yeah, it's a it's a hell of an AAV, right? I mean, you look at the other five UFAs that they sign, all fringe guys, right, in in and out of the AHL, probably they only signed for 75K less. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty good deal for Jonathan Drouin, but... 50K uh, less, 775K, so 50K less. Minus, oh, I, I was going off of 850. Yeah, 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 and, and, and that's the league minimum. So that's how close Jonathan Drouin is to the league minimum. 825, not 850. I was going off of 850. Um, so, yeah, let's get into those other five guys. I, I don't think there's too much notable to really speak of except for chris wagner right we've seen him here with the avalanche before i think that was still patty wall era yeah i remember i remember covering him and i remember having a conversation with him i think i've told this story on the podcast before but it's been a while so let me refresh it when chris wagner was here i remember attending a morning skate the avalanche had just acquired him Somebody from the other team walks down the tunnel to kind of check out what the avalanche are doing at morning skate and go like he, he says, is that Chris Wagner? 
oh man, that guy is such a prick. And so I, it caught my ears, right? That's like, oh wow, this guy must know him from playing against him in the AHL. So I approach Chris Wagner after that morning skate and I say, hey, one of those guys in the other locker room came up and said, hey, this Chris Wagner's a bit of a prick. How do you feel about that? And he's like, I take pride in that. That's the way I like to play my game. Um, and, you know, he's not a very big guy. So he plays with a lot of, I would call it anger. And he plays like a prick. And I think that's the perfect way to describe his game. Of course, he's getting a little bit older. I think he's, what, in his mid-30s at this point. But I'm sure he still has a lot of effort. And um, I just, I, I, yeah, I mean, he, at his size, and he's still hanging around the NHL slash AHL it's obviously because he's doing something right, and it's just that effort and that level of uh, fire that he plays with. Last year for the Avalanche, Curtis McDermott played 44 games. Martin Kaut played 27. Jacob McDonald played 33, mostly as a forward. Dryden Hunt, 25. Jason Megna, 14. Anton Bleed, 14. Alex Galchenyuk, 11. Charles Houdon, 9. Sampo Ranta, 6. Mikhail Maltsev, 5. Like, it's a damn miracle this team won the division, just reading those numbers. Those are big freaking numbers. But there is a spot on this team for Chris Wagner to play 20 games. And all of those names I just read, not a lot of them, if any of them, do I feel better in than having Chris Wagner around. Uh, he's a guy that just came off a contract with the Boston Bruins where I think he was there for a three-year deal. And uh, he got that coming off a season where he had 12 goals and 19 points in 76 games. And then he signed a three-year deal, making a million and a half. So he hasn't played a lot the last couple of years in the NHL. But the Bruins haven't had, obviously, the kinds of injury issues the Avalanche had. So all I'm saying is he's a good depth pickup. He's good for the AHL. And uh, if it's somebody that you have to call up, I feel a heck of a lot better having him play 10, 15 games than Sampo Ranta or Mikhail Maltsev, who's moved on since, or Charles Udon or Anton Bleed. It's a depth pickup, and and it's it's a good name. It's it's good to have a familiar face back in the locker room, and it's someone that guys like McKinnon and, and Miko know because that's all that's left from that year. Especially come playoff time, right? If you have to call somebody up, call somebody up like Chris Wagner who brings that playoff-style hockey every freaking night. And that's what's amazing about him is he has this high energy that you're just like, man, if only I played that hard, maybe I had a shot. But um, yeah, yeah, just crazy with the 30. Yeah, 32 years old. I don't want to make too much of a fuss about it. It's just fun to see that name because his first thing with the Avalanche was fun. I just remember him playing on a fourth line with Jack Skilly that season, and uh, they were fun to watch. Those were two. That was like around the year where the NHL was sort of getting to your fourth liners not being guys like what Toronto had in Colton or, and, and I forget the other guy's name that they had on that team. Uh, but like those kinds of players, it was like, you know, Matt Calvert types, a little bit smaller, uh, run around, can hit, can fight tough, but speed, a little bit of skill, a little bit of hands to them. That's what the avalanche had with Jack Skilly and Chris Wagner for that 25, 26 game stretch. I remember he scored against Ottawa. I want to say it was his first game. And I don't know why I remember that. It was his first game after getting picked up off waivers um, or maybe his second game. He scored against the Ottawa Senators. He had four goals for the Avalanche in 25, 26 games. Uh, and then the Avs put him on waivers and then Anaheim clipped him right back. I think it was the Ducks. So um, it's fun to see him back and, and you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But the, the other thing that I like about what the Avs have done, and I think I talked about this the other day when we talked about the pro team, not the minor league team, but the pro team, I talked about how Chris McFarlane and Joe Sackick aren't falling in love with their guys. And I actually respect that because it's hard to do that 
you win a Stanley Cup with Alex Newhook and JT Confer, Eric Johnson, you've had him around for forever, but you know it's time to move on. What I like about what the Avalanche have done the last six to 12 months is they traded Shane Bowers. They just got rid of him for, uh, what's his face? Um, Keith Kincaid. They took Martin Cowd and they said, fuck this guy. Let's send him to San Jose. Sample Ranta, yeah, they you know kept his rights by uh, uh, giving him a qualifying offer. But that's just like on the off chance that he pops off in Europe, he's still our property. They've kind of been like getting rid of all of this, like the Jacob McDonald, Jason Magna, like all the minor league guys that they're like, you know what? We need a refresh. They even kind of like did a little bit of a refresh down there. Jonas Johansson. So I respect that too, where they just won a cup like 370 days ago or whatever the hell it is now. And it's easy for them to be like, you know what? Let's move on from these names and and let's bring in guys, guys like Chris Wagner. Yeah. Uh, they're realistic with it, right? They, they looked at the team that was out there in the first round against Seattle and just said, this isn't going to cut it. We need to uh, revamp a lot of things. So I'm, I'm with you. Props to the front office for, I guess, not letting emotion get in the way. I will say real quick, I'm still very curious who plays, or sorry, who coaches that team of the Eagles now with Greg Cronin no longer there. I'm very curious about that, and I can't wait to hear about that soon. Guys, Superbook Sports. We're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 um all right let's get into the guys that were re-signed with the team guys we know and love and guys we'll continue to see here at least for one year two years tops apparently with the uh the free agency that the avalanche had to kind of maneuver through here so bowen byram two years 3.85 million andrew cogliano one year eight hundred and twenty-five thousand. Jack Johnson, one year, seven seventy-five thousand, and used to say, and then you can throw him in there because you know I've heard a lot of chatter about how it's important to have three really good goalies. I mean, you saw what Las Vegas did this year; what they use five, and that's not even counting Robin Leonard. So it, it's important to keep those goaltenders uh, stockpiled. Yeah, um, Eustace Sandin is is I'm going to start with him because he's you know the smallest of the names. Uh, but he's somebody that I'm really hoping can take a little bit of a step here. The Avalanche uh, are too. They, they're they they're hoping it. desperately. They need it so badly. They <laughs> need so badly to go into the third year, as in like next next summer going into the, the following season. They need so badly going into the third year of Georgiev's contract to know that, you know, they have UC Soros behind Pekka Rene or something like that. Like they so badly need that. And, and, Eustace Annan and taking off this upcoming year again, who's, who's going to coach that team and, and what's it going to look like? It's going to be a far different team than it was this year. And they've been a playoff team for the last little bit. So really curious about what happens there. Cogliano and Jack Johnson, no brainers. You know, you and I did that uh, podcast after the article I wrote way, way back in the beginning of the off season in May. And it was uh, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, Darren Helm, Andrew Cogliano and Lars Eller. Which of the veterans do they keep? Which do they 
did they let go? And I said, EJ is done. Darren Helm's done. Lars Eller, if he wants to stay around as a fourth line center, maybe not at the freaking money he got. We'll get to that soon. Um, but the obvious choices are Jack Johnson as a number seven D, which right now he's number six. We'll see what happens. And Andrew Cogliano, absolute no brainer. As long as his neck issues are not an issue, which they're not, he'll be 100% ready by training camp, according to the app. So, um, and obviously after the injury against the Kraken. So, um, no brainer deals there. I love that Cogliano went down to eight, two, five K. I thought he would get like 1.1, 1.2. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but every dollar counts right now. So having guys like Cogliano and Jack Johnson for a combined 1.6 million, when Cogliano last year was making 1.25 and Darren Helm was making 1.25 is pretty damn good. So now that we've gotten those out of the way, let's talk about Bowen Byram. Um, Surprising. Both term and AAV. I'm I'm not surprised in the sense where Bowen Byram's betting on himself. That's the way I see it. I think if Bo signed a long-term deal, he would have gotten something along the lines of like at the absolute maximum, which I don't think he would have gotten this, was the Mikhail Sergachev deal. Eight years, eight and a half. Not like hypothetically, not saying that the Avalanche would have fit that into their structure this year, but like hypothetically, in terms of what he is worth this summer, coming off of two years where he's been injured a lot, a lot of bad luck, as well as the fact that he was a big piece of that 2022 Stanley Cup championship in the playoffs. Um, and just knowing that he's got the pedigree, he's going to be a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. Like he's so good. He would have maxed out his value today at eight, eight and a half. But. I don't even think he's worth that much given the injury issues, given all of that. If the Avalanche tried to sign him to a long-term deal, which I have zero knowledge of this in terms of like inside sources, but I think after the Landeskog thing and knowing they had that 7 million, um, I think they said, let's try to take advantage of that and sign Bowen Byram to a long-term deal. I bet you anything. They tried to offer him like five years at like 5.5 or something like that. Let's just get him locked up to a good number so that in two years when he's worth eight or nine, we still got him locked up at 5.5 or even six. Um, and I think Bowen Byram realistically looked at that and his agent looked at that and said, the injury issues are behind us. The concussion issues are behind us. I'm going to take a two-year deal for 3.85 and I'm going to cash out in two years from now. When the salary cap is up about $9 million more than it is now, if it's not the avalanche giving me eight or 9 million, it sure as hell will be another team. So I think that from Bowen Byram's sake, this makes sense. And from the Avalanche's sake, I do like that it's a two-year deal because when he comes out of this deal, he's still two years away from UFA. So if, and I say if, you get to the point where two years from now, you got Devontae's locked up, hypothetically. Kale McCarr is locked up. Uh, Miko Rantanen's about to enter a new contract and make a ton of money. Um, who knows what's happening with Gabe Landeskog by then he might be on the books. He might not, but like if in two years from now, there's no way you can keep Bowen Byram, which I don't think is true. I think there is a way to make it all fit with the, with the higher cap and you need to trade him. A team is going to give you a ransom for that player because he's an RFA and he's got two more years left as an RFA or you sign Devon Taves. You kind of have a clear picture of what the cap's going to look like over the next couple of years. And in 12 months from now, you can give him an extension. 12 months from now, he can sign an eight-year deal. He can make eight, nine million. All he needs is one good season this year. So from the Av sense, it also makes sense. I also love that the cap is below 4 million. I really thought he would get four, four and a half. So 3.85, good number. Good contract for the Avalanche. Good contract for Bowen Byram. Kicks the can down the road. 
but so many questions will be answered from a salary cap standpoint, from what you have to spend and Bowen Byram's health over the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, and it's important. I like that you pointed out that he's still going to be an RFA at the end of this two-year deal. So the Avalanche still will will be in control and be able to bring him back if need be. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a gamble, right? I'm considering his concussion issues, but I, I'm not surprised at all at Bowen Byram's confidence in himself and and Bowen Byram's willingness to gamble on that for more money in the long run. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I like it, and it, it works for everybody. So everybody's happy, right? Those are the best kind of transactions. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I've, I've said it over and over again, and I know this guy's got a little bit of a concussion history, so for him it's a little bit different, but... Every time players sign eight-year deals that are young, like Jack Hughes signing an eight-year deal for $64 million, uh, Tim Stutzla, guys like that, I always – and I know like at the flip of a – at like literally at the turn of the calendar day, not even a year or a month, you can be like Gabe Landeskog where, you know, it's not the top of mind thing for Gabe Landeskog, but how good does he feel knowing 12 months before all these knee issues began – he signed a $49 million guaranteed contract or sorry, 56. It's an eight year deal, a $56 million guaranteed contract. What if Landeskog never signed that deal? What if he took a two year bridge and said, I'll cash out when the cap goes up, his contract would have expired right now. And the avalanche would have been like, all right, we're going to pay you a few million dollars. Let's get you healthy. So that is always something that could happen. And you know, that's something Bowen Byram thought about too, because he's had concussion issues and those can come back. But I look at players and I say, man, I wish the NHL had more people bet on themselves. I wish Tim Stutzla didn't sign for $8.3 million for the next eight years. Because in four years from now, when Tim Stutzla is putting up 100-something points and the salary cap's like $90 million, he's going to look pretty good making that much money. So Bowen, finally, we have a player that's betting on himself in that way. I got no complaints. I, I love that for the kid. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And yeah, I guess that's all I have to how say. Often, how often do we talk about the confidence in that kid? Yeah, he's got regularly. So confidence. That's why it's 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 not surprising that he's exactly. uh, making this move. So let's get to the guys that are leaving us. Of course, it's always sad, especially with guys that have been here a long time, like Eric Johnson, JT Comfer. But uh, yeah, a handful of guys on their way out of town. And honestly, they all are getting some pretty smoking deals that I don't think they would have gotten here in Colorado or yeah. anything close. So uh, let me read through them. This, this is kind of the heftiest list we've got. Eric Johnson to Buffalo, of course, one year, $3.25 million. That number really threw me off. Uh, JT Comfort to Detroit, five years, $5.1 million, right about what we expected. Lars Eller to Pittsburgh, two years, $2.45 million for Lars Eller for two years. Per season, yeah. Head scratcher for sure. Uh, Matt, Matt Nieto also going to Pittsburgh, two years, 900K. Jonas Johansson to Tampa, two years, 775. Evan Rodriguez to Florida, four years, $3 million. You know, I'm jealous of this one as much as I love South Florida. Not only does he get to move to South Florida, but he gets $3 million a year to yeah. live there. Fantastic stuff for him. And of course, Mikhail Maltsev heads to the LA Kings at a league min 775. Yeah, Dennis Malgan and Darren Helm, I believe, are the two last remaining UFAs from the from last year's team. Um, let's start with the top. Eric Johnson, I didn't for the life of me expect that. Um, I, I mean, that has to be same with him, right? He, he's a, what the <laughs> yeah. 3.25, they said. Oh, I'm heading to Buffalo. Yeah. Tell everybody else. And I'm going to eat chicken wings. and I'm going to put on my Instagram story <laughs> right away with like a big buffalo hanging up over me. Um, 
I did not expect that. I thought Eric Johnson was at the point of his career, which is why when I was talking about should the Avs keep Jack or Eric, like when I wrote that article that I referenced earlier, um, it was also like, but if they do end up keeping Eric, whatever, who cares? It's not the worst thing in the world. I just hope they have uh, an extra right-handed D-man because when one of Josh Manson or Kale McCarr get injured, you don't want Eric Johnson to jump into your top four. The reason why I said that, and I had that thought process because I thought he was at the point of his career, like Andrew Cogliano, like Jack Johnson, like uh, Corey Perry before whatever the hell Chicago just did where, you know, Patrick Maroon, we're going to make 800, 900, $1 million until we retire and, you know, stroll off into the sunset. I did not think Eric Johnson coming off this past season had one more big money deal in him. The Buffalo Sabres did. You know what? I say this all the time. If a team has the cap space and you found a player that you think can help your team one way or another, and who better than Eric Johnson to help Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power, two other number one overall draft pick defensemen, especially Owen Power. So I think from that sense, and EJ, he actually spoke to the media today. He said that you know, the Sabres team. And I agree with him. It reminds him of the avalanche four or five years ago when they were just getting over the hump and you're looking at the team like, Oh, look at this young Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon's going up for the heart trophy and kill McCars coming. Like that's what the Sabres look like now. So all the power to him. I don't blame him in the least bit for taking this contract. Um, We'll He's kind of the, the, the Francois Beauchemin of that equation, though. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, smart for the Buffalo Sabres to give him one year and not whatever the hell the Avalanche did with Beauch, uh, giving him three or four or whatever it was. So all the power to him for taking that deal. He said it again even today. He said, I wanted to retire with the Avalanche, and that was my hope, and that's what I wanted. Uh, remember Media Day last year when Gabe Landeskog and EJ spoke? He tried to throw in some subtle... Uh, subtle thing and we're gonna we're gonna have some conversations about my contract after i have a great year here yeah somebody mentioned nathan mckinnon signing a long-term deal deal to gabe landeskog and ej came in and went yeah now we can focus on my long-term deal or something like that yeah, like so. he really wanted to retire here um but all the power to him we're gonna miss him dearly he's a great dude he's done so much for this team and is something i said about you know despite what i said about matt duchene the other day about how we should you know, kind of lay low a little bit on him. Um, despite that, Eric Johnson was somebody that when the avalanche sucked and he had a lot of stock, he wanted to stay. And I respect that from him. I respect it from Gabe Landeskog when his name was coming up in trade rumors. And uh, he earned that Stanley Cup last year. And, and, and I'm glad he had it before he had to leave. Yeah, you know, that was part of his thought process too, right? Like, yeah, it sucks to leave Colorado, but I got my cup. Let's go get paid. And uh, we'll see what happens after this year. Yeah. So kudos to him. And I'm excited. I hope the Buffalo Sabres make the playoffs. Yeah. JT Comfer. Uh, this one made a whole of a lot, a hell of a lot of sense to me, especially after the uh, Chicago Blackhawks started throwing money at guys like Taylor Hall, Corey Perry, and who's the third one, Nick Felino. Uh, a combined $14 million for those three players. Taylor Hall was obviously a trade acquisition. Uh, as soon as they did that, I didn't think he was going to go to Chicago anymore because I think they were looking for a specific type of player. And that specific type of player was let's not put term on anybody until Connor Bedard breaks out. So with that kind of 
gone from the equation. The two teams that stuck out to me, and I promise you this, this was before it was rumored by Elliot Friedman on the night of July of June 30th that these were teams that were looking at him, were Nashville because they had just gotten rid of Duchesne and they had gotten rid of uh, Johansson earlier. And Barry Trotz is their coach, and he seems like a Barry Trotz player. The other one was the Detroit Red Wings because the Red Wings need another center. Right now they have Andrew Kopp as their 2C. And I know JT Confer is not really a 2C. We've said it over and over again. But Andrew Kopp is a good winger that on the wing, I think legitimately Andrew Kopp can give you 65, 70 points. At center, he's like 35, 40. As soon as you take away that responsibility of playing the center position, Kopp can score. So Detroit stuck out to me for that reason. It stuck out to me because he went to U of M. His girl went to U of M. His girlfriend went to U of M. They were both D1 athletes there. They're familiar with the area. They're familiar with the Red Wings. They're familiar with Andrew Kopp and Dylan Larkin, two of their two of his teammates from Michigan. And you know his girlfriend knew them too. You ever seen a college athletics department? <laughs> Everybody knows each other. All the athletes know each other. So I know that was important for them too. And, and Detroit just made a world of sense. Um, and I'm excited to go see him out there someday. And I know it kind of hurts, but the rivalry's long gone. Um, and, uh, you know, him signing in Detroit isn't weird to me anymore. I think we're kind of well past that, but, uh, just sucks for him that he has to go live in Detroit now. <laughs> hey, come on. Detroit's got <laughs> some very nice suburbs. So here's another thing, by the way, like to go back to where UFA players sign, I'm going to use Detroit as an example, because obviously I know the city very well. The downtown area in 2023 is a hell of a lot better than it was in 2013, but it's still not up to par with what Detroit used to be before the crash. So last year, Jacob Verana, he did a, he did an interview on uh, 32 thoughts with Friedman and uh, Merrick. And he mentioned how of all the Red Wings, he's the only one that lives in downtown Detroit or anywhere close to the downtown midtown area, close to the rink. That's because, and I, you know, I know this for all the NHL players, there are cities like West Bloomfield, Northville. These are all 30, 40 minutes away from Little Caesars Arena. That's where everybody settles. That's where all those guys live. So imagine taking something like that into account. Do you really want to live somewhere where your commute is 45 minutes every single day? You're like, eh, let me go live in Toronto. I can get a nice fucking high riser five seconds away from the rink. And that's where I live. Like people think like that. Those things matter. There are so many human elements to why players sign with certain teams, and that's one of them. So uh, he's not going to be living in Detroit is my long way of saying that. He's going to be living somewhere in the suburbs in a beautiful city. <laughs> Makes me think of family sports and maybe the hindrance that it might cause the avalanche oh, in bringing in free agents. Absolutely. Just the location, the fact that it's not next to the actual rink and the garbage that it is. Like That stuff genuinely matters. Uh, anybody else you want to get into on the guys that left? I think, I think that's about it. I've said my piece on all of them. Yeah. I'm surprised Lars Eller got $2.45 million AAV for two years coming off that year. Um, going to miss Evan Rodriguez. I'm very happy for him to get to cash out, but selfishly will miss him. If you combine his last two contracts, I mean, Rodriguez is going to make 14 million over five years, which is a great number for a player like that who was making less than a mil on contracts over and over again. And, you know, before that breakout season with the Penguins. So shout out to him, uh, Matt Nieto. Sure. You know, he came back for a short stint. It was nice to see him. Uh, the Fortnite jokes were funny for like four minutes. Um, and then other than that, that's, that's basically it. 
Yeah, Evan Rodriguez was a nice guy to talk to. Um, I remember even after that final game, he said how much he liked Colorado and wanted to stay. So, you know, there was at least conversations had. It wasn't something where the Avalanche yeah. just said, see you later, but uh, obviously couldn't agree to anything. And then he probably got just slightly higher dollar amount from the Florida Panthers. And of course, we know that there's no state tax there. So he's yeah. making even more money. And he's living in Florida. So And he's living yeah. in Florida. <laughs> um. He's going to fit in nicely there, playing with guys like Sam Bennett, Oof. Sam Reinhart. Like, that's a good team. I know they just made the Stanley Cup final as an eight seed, and we kind of laughed about that, but that's still a good team. So I'm excited to mm-hmm. see what the Panthers look like. Yeah. And I feel like he didn't, Evan Rodriguez didn't really reach his full potential. I feel like he still had more to offer with this team. Perhaps another year or two of familiarity yeah. really would have helped him thrive, but it is what it is. And, uh, if the, avalanche, if the Avalanche could have gotten him for $3 million for two years, again, no inside sources to this, just my, my hypothetical educated guess. I think they would have done it. Um, but four years at 29 years old, you just you can't keep committing that much to that many role players. You just can't do it. You're, you've already done it with Miles Wood. You're probably going to do it with Ross Colton. Anything more than that, you just can't do it. Yeah, and I think we all kind of saw Evan Rodriguez struggle with that knee at times, right? And that's, I think, something that's a little bit Eyebrow raising, especially if you're the team. Like, hey, come on, four years is a lot with that knee problem you got going. So, um, yeah, last thing I guess we got to get to is uh, remaining RFA. Ben Myers still out there, uh, unsigned. I guess I don't anticipate him going anywhere or anyone offer sheeting him. Yeah, he's going to sign. He's going to be the fourth line center. I think right now when you plug and play with the Avalanche's lineup, there's a couple holes to fill. Uh, there's three holes to fill. One of them might be filled by Ben Myers as the fourth line center um, with Cogliano and O'Connor. The other hole, obviously, Ross Colton is also a remaining RFA that has to sign. Um, Ross Colton and Miles Wood need a winger, and I think the Avalanche are going to get one more guy. Your sec- your top six is set You know, with Druen getting an opportunity. I hope the winger that they get to play with Colton and Wood on the third line has a little bit of that versatility to kind of be Jonathan Drouin insurance in the sense. Um, I know Max Domi is going to Toronto. Tyler Bertuzzi is going to Toronto. But like guys that have a little bit more skill to them. Evan Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez would have, <laughs> is, is the perfect one. Again, yeah. If, if so, you could have gotten him for less than four years, yeah. you'd probably do it. That being said, who who left is who is still out there that's left that uh, could potentially fill that role? The name that sticks out to me most is uh, Dennis Gurianov. And uh, I just kind of feel like here, let me pull up the, sorry, I'm trying to pull up the sheet on the fly of the remaining UFAs. Dennis Garyanov is, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. So Garyanov, you know, he kind of had a bad season with the Dallas Stars. Uh, you know, he's kind of been trending downward a little bit. Um, and then ended up getting traded to Montreal in the trade that gave Dallas Dadanov, but Garyanov in 2019-20 pre-COVID, you know, the year that Dallas made the Stanley Cup final, he actually led the team with 20 goals in 64 regular season games. I did not know that. I noticed that today. Um, And then he had, so basically over three seasons, he had 29 points in 64 games, 30 in 55, and then 31 in 73. So he was averaging about 30 points in like 68 games, 69 games. Pretty good. But then this past season, he fell off. So again, like Jonathan Drouin, you know, not to the extent of Drouin because Drouin's worst season was a half a point per game pace, but like Drouin, he's only had one bad year. This isn't Galchenyuk where, 
you're looking to like six, seven years ago and being like, can he rekindle what he had there? He's only had one bad year. It was his past season. He had two goals and seven assists in nine games with the stars or sorry, two goals and seven assists in 43 games with the set with the stars, nine points. And they got traded to Montreal. Couldn't do anything there too. He's a player that sticks out to me because there are a little bit of like bound the Chushkin vibes to him, not in the terms of two way play, but in terms of like, he's this big Russian winger. He's six foot three. He was drafted number 12 overall two years after Val Nachushkin and, you know, had a good rookie season and then trended downward just like Val Nachushkin, but has a lot of skill and has something there. That's a guy that sticks out to me. I don't think you're going to invest six years into him, but I think that's somebody that's a little bit of a project, a reclamation. Uh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, just like Jonathan Drouin, low risk, high reward, but it's another option. Not to mention the Dallas connection there too, right? I mean, Valenshushkin didn't work in Dallas, comes to the Avalanche and they figure him out. Same thing can happen with Giryanov. Yeah. And Giryanov, he's a uh, he's a strong forechecker. He's good at driving play into the offensive zone, and he's a, he's a shoot-first guy. He's a goal-scoring guy. The year that he had 20 goals, where I'm talking about he led the Stars in goals, 20 goals in 64 games, 9 assists in 64 games. So he's a shoot-first guy. Um, and somebody that, you know, if you need a scorer on the top two lines, He's, he's again, he's Jonathan Drouin insurance. Last year, you had Gabe Landeskog and Evan Rodriguez was his insurance. And then you realized real quick, you're going to have no Gabe Landeskog. So now you have Evan Rodriguez with no insurance to the point where when Val Nachushkin went out of the lineup, you were playing Matt Nieto in the playoffs in the top six, like just brutal stuff. So to have Drouin as an option in a top six that is like pretty well put together. Obviously Johansson has to bounce back and then have someone like Gary even Ross Colton, who scored 20 goals before even miles Wood, who can give you about 10 to 12 goals to have more insurance. There would be really good for the avalanche and for their depth. So Dennis Gary is the one that sticks out to me. I like it. I love it. I mean, it's going to be exciting this year, just considering all the turnover and all the new faces and, and just seeing how everybody gels. It's going to, I think add a little uh, you know, a little spark to the team and yeah. a little spark to abs fans. It's just going to create a little bit more buzz and excitement. And uh, I think everybody's looking forward to what this avalanche team can do. And it's funny to me how even after the Stanley cup, finally avalanche were the favorites to win next year's Stanley cup. <laughs> and that's without even knowing what they were going to do this off season. Everybody yeah. still expected them to have a pretty big off season. And, and I think they made a, a adequate splash and I'm excited for what this year has to bring. Me as well. And I, I still think they're going to add a right D because Jack Johnson, as we know, plays on the left side. So on the left right now, you have Devon Taves, Bowen Byram, Sam Gerrard, and Jack Johnson. On the right, you have Kel McCarr and Josh Manson. So I, I don't think they're going to play Jack and Gerrard kind of as like your third pair. I think they're going to bring in one more guy. Um, had a terrible season last year, but Matt Dumba's 28 years old and he's on the market. Uh, other than that, you know, maybe there's a trade out there. Maybe it's someone like Travis Hamanick. Um, but regardless, Ethan Bear, who's injured to start the year, actually, Travis Dermott. So I think they're going to bring in another depth defenseman as well. But just looking at the forward core, if they don't bring in Garyanov and they just go with what they have, which again, I think they will, Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Jonathan Drouin, four very big pieces of their top nine are already going to be different and potentially a fifth one. Yeah. Yeah. 
We'll see. Travis Hamanick, that's another name, a lot like Jonathan Drouin, that I felt has been on his way to Colorado for years and years and years, and <laughs> yeah. it's just never come to fruition. So it'd be interesting to see him here too. Um, but yeah, still moves to make. So we'll wait with bated breath and see how the Avalanche ultimately fill out this roster. But um, again, just a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz around these new names. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited. It's, it's a new look team, but it's also very necessary for them to make these changes. Um, I, again, just going back to that stats page from last season, when I was reading off how many games some of those players played, uh, it's, it's wild to think back to how last year unfolded. You know, we talked about it all year and I still forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. Good awareness, self-awareness from the avalanche to be yeah. able to look themselves in the mirror and, and realize that. So yeah, a lot of upgrades. Um, We'll see how they pan out. It's only July 2nd right now. But if you're listening on July 2nd and you made it this far <laughs> in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart, of course. Don't forget to check out Superbook Sports. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.